kind of found this place where I realized I want to make abstract paintings and they're going to be good. I'm going to make them good. I'm going to figure out how to be a better painter. And that was it. I mean, I think the second that I decided that the stuff that had always been in the sketchbook, so these sorts of linear, abstract thumbnails that I would just make over and over and over, and that was justified. And I was going to turn that into the work and really commit myself wholeheartedly into, into this practice. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 142nd episode, I'm joined by painter Jessica Smorte, who talks to us about the evolution of her abstract paintings, all based off of sketches. They're all very interesting, and they're coming up, so please stay tuned for this interview. We want to remind artists that our 2015 Studio Break competition is open and coming to a close June 15th, so please get your applications in. Once again, we'll be giving out three solo exhibitions and feature nine artists in total. That's student artists as well as professional artists. And you can check out all the information on Studio Break's homepage. Just look on the left sidebar under Studio Break 2015 competition and apply. Please share this with any artists that you think would make a good fit for Studio Break and might be interested in having a solo exhibition. Of course, if you're new to Studio Break, we want to remind you that we feature in-depth interviews with artists. We share their work on studiobreak.com. You can find links to their websites and more information there, so please check it out. You can follow us on our Tumblr page, that's studio-break.tumblr. Please like our Facebook page for updates, and you can tweet us at Studio Break on Twitter. Now, with that out of the way, our interview with Jessica Smorte is coming up, so stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I'm happy to be joined this morning by Jessica Samorte. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, again, I've been seeing uh, your work um, just pop up on on social media over and over and over for, I don't know, like maybe a little over a year or something like that. And so I thought, why not talk about these paintings? They're, They're really interesting. So it's great to have you on. Thanks. I appreciate that. Let's start out just by, you know, finding a little bit more about you. So where, where are you from and, and where did you grow up? And, you know, we'll take it from there. That's always a really difficult question for me to answer. I think I was born in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, I've lived in a few places, um, but for the most part, I grew up around the Kansas City, Missouri area. And that's where I live now. Mm-hmm. But my father is French, so I spent a lot of time Um, kind of traveling back and forth between his house that's in Scottsdale still and then our place in Europe to see my family there over the summer. So, um, but I guess I'm, yeah, I'm from Kansas city. (laughs) Yeah. That's pretty interesting already. And just some diversity there was, was art making always something that you, that you did when you were a kid? Did you always kind of work in a sketchbook, things like that? Yeah, it was. My dad always supplied me with Um, a variety of materials in the summers when we were in Spain or France. Um, And I remember really distinctly sitting on our balcony painting and usually watercolors and I had crayons and all of that stuff. And that would really keep me busy and prevent, you know, some homesickness when I was quite small. Mm -hmm. And then um, 
I was always in dance classes, you know, when I was really little. So always involved one way or another, um, a really creative child in um, so many different ways. But but yeah, I was always really interested in um, in art and uh, different sorts of making processes, whether that's um, forts or, you know, whatever that might be. Yeah, mischief, basically. Yeah, <laughs> only well, child stuff, lots of imagination. Well, it's it's one of those things, too, though. I mean, I think, I don't know, like, if you imagine, like, an artist getting stuck in, like, a room with bubble wrap, which is happens to be what I'm looking at right now, I don't know why if you maybe leave them in there long enough, you figure something's going to happen, maybe. I don't know. Like, right. they're going to get bored. They're locked in a storage closet, and they're going to, like, start making sculptures or something. I don't know. There's something, I think, kind of about that. I don't know. Just to kind of be in a a frame of mind where you can just kind of like work on something and just kind of be in your, your own world, you know? Totally. In fact, someone said to me recently, um, I wish I could credit them. I don't remember who said this, but someone said that, you know, that you're an artist when you're younger, because, um, maybe a non-artist child would have asked for a certain material if they couldn't find it or a certain object to be bought for them. And an artist would have just made it. So I think they were using the example of a funnel and this particular person couldn't find a funnel and they really wanted one for this thing that they were making. And instead they made one out of, you know, paper or tape or whatever was around um, when they were quite small. And that made so much sense to me because I was very industrious. I was always, I don't know, hiding stuff or making weird things and then putting them in weird places and then keeping track of them over a long period of time and I don't know. Yeah, always some sort of maker. You were talking a bit before, just again, just kind of traveling a lot and, you know, going from, I guess, uh, Missouri to to Spain and other places. Um, Was that also something that was kind of exciting or was it something like you had kind of said maybe that you're also kind of homesick at the same time? Or I would Uh, imagine that would be just a huge thing. I don't know. Just kind of seeing the world, you know? Yeah. Well, Um, I think it's important to note that it was very much my normal. I mean, I had been uh, going to Europe every summer since I was born. So it was just what I did um, until I was, you know, 18 or so. So Mm -hmm. it didn't seem scary or um, even like an adventure, really, because it was so typical for me. But but there was a lot of excitement in that I, you know, most of my family is in Europe. I have a very large family there and miss them so much. Um, so that was always such a, a great thing to do. But I was also quite homesick, you know, when I was small. And that's a normal part of travel at any age. But the exposure that travel allows for, I think, is just so irreplaceable. And there's um, really no other way to learn those sorts of things that travel provides. And my dad, um, there was always something to learn from my dad when we were together in Europe, everything was a learning experience. And I was absolutely exposed to all sorts of museums and, um, the community in Spain that we live in is very much influenced by surrealism. Uh, and Dolly's house is there. And, uh, I remember being very vocal that I didn't like surrealism when I was young. And so, yeah, there. I mean, there's absolutely a lot of exposure to to things that I would not have um, would not have seen had that had I not been born half French. So I'm obviously extremely grateful for all of that um, and hold that really dear to my heart. But you know, it was just 
my life. It was just what I did as a child with divorced parents. Were you were you also kind of taking art classes as you got older? Did you get kind of interested in in doing that something that was that was you know kind of I guess I was going to say more seriously, kind of like lost in that state of just kind of being in creative and like, oh, I can, can just kind of do this stuff. I was in dance for much of my childhood up until I think 16 and in a really serious dance program and that I was there almost every night um, of the week. So I think that I liked the way that that um, gave me focus. I mean, I was always a really serious, dedicated young adult or kid. So I, I liked that I had this thing that I had to do and really dedicate myself to. Um, and then we moved away from that particular town and I couldn't dance anymore. And I, at that point shifted, uh, my focus to art. And I had always been really interested in, in painting and drawing, but not as maybe a primary focus. And then that kind of changed when I moved to this different town and, um, I was older, I think, so 16, 17, and I started to think about college, and it just seemed like a really natural thing for me to do, to be an art major, and um, I was doing theater and, you know, anything that was more or less creative and a little offbeat, but um, no, you know, classes outside of school, and I went to a really small high school at that point where there wasn't a lot of art classes, a lot of diversity. So I had a a great teacher who essentially said, here's the back room, here's our materials, do with it what you want. Um, And that was maybe the first pivotal moment where I was like, wow, I have all of this opportunity and all of this space and all of this stuff and I'm going to do it. And then, you know, that transition to college applications and all of that. Very cool. Um, And again, I I think that whole that kind of dedication that it would require to be a dancer and, and to kind of be involved in, you know, kind of that uh, visual, I, I mean, it's still a visual art, right? I mean, it's, it's just a theatrical one or it's one, you know, like one that requires, sure. you know, movement and motion. And I mean, it's still, again, I, I think just one of those experiences that um, might kind of drive everything in a way, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I always restate the obvious right after somebody says it, and then I just move on to the next thing. So I always edit those things out. But No problem. <laughs> um, Brings it full circle. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, again, I think that's an interesting idea, you know, just to be kind of involved in so many things. And, um, you know, I think one of the things that occurred to me is just how if you don't ever say, like I grew up in the suburbs, if you don't ever go to the city, you kind of only know one kind of environment. So it seems like maybe, too, that maybe kind of having all these different experiences is something that kind of keeps you open to that idea as as a possibility, Mm -hmm. um, which is something that's interesting. And so you, you had moved and and stopped taking dance, start taking art classes. Did you, did you start college as a art major? Is that something that you were like, yeah, I'm doing this or. Yeah, I did. Um, I knew that it was something that I was really interested in, but it, it was never really a decision that I made. It was just kind of the obvious choice. And um, I thought I really wanted to go to the Kansas City Art Institute. And then um, I decided later that maybe I was going to choose this different school. And that um, I think my attitude in the beginning was if I didn't like it, I could transfer. And I did like it. So I stayed um, at the University of St. Mary, which is a very small, private, liberal arts school in Kansas nearby. Um, And I really 
uh, got to know, there's only two faculty members there. And at the time I was very close to both of them and they are quite different people. So I think that that um, was an advantage as a student, although only having two mentors or professors there, you know, they had such different perspectives that it was, um, it was a fine place to be. I mean, it wasn't a place that people necessarily go to be an R major by any means. But since I was really focused and hardworking, um, I think that I used that to my advantage. You know, this individualized attention in a small school worked out just fine. I feel like I had very much the same experience, you know, like, and that whole idea of like, you know, you get out of it, what you put into it. I think, yeah. I think that's especially where you learn it. Cause you know, you, you know, it's like you have four years go by and you're like, holy cow, like I've got to move and I've got all these paintings. Holy cow. I've been, you know, busy and, and doing stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's something really beautiful about being at an institution where you can, um, I took a lot of political science classes or you can take English classes or whatever and have this really well-rounded education that, um, you might not get at an art institute or something. And I think that I would have loved that too, maybe more or in different ways. Um, but I, you know, I had very much a studio experience. I was there all the time. I could have been there late at night or, you know, came in early if I needed to. So I would imagine that you, you know, done some painting at this point. Was that something that you kind of immediately, you know, got into where you could take painting or? Well, yes and no to um, getting attached to painting right away. I think that I was really drawn to all things 2D and that it stayed that way for a long, long time. But drawing, you know, I was really interested in drawing and then there was no painting in my first year, but I really enjoyed just a basic 2D design course. Um, but if I were going to have to, you know, note a first love or something, I guess it would be my sketchbook. And that became really pivotal later. Um, and we can get on that, I guess, when we speak about grad school, but that was something that I always worked in and kind of became the place where the the more interesting, but also awful at the time, but uh, more interesting work and ideas started to happen. And I remember being a freshman and in this drawing class, and even then I wasn't really interested in making handsome, realist drawings necessarily, but I was more excited when something was a little weird or off or, you know, maybe just one interesting mark would captivate me more than uh, a highly rendered drawing. So, but later, once I could take painting, I did, and I really loved it, but I actually thought I was a terrible painter, um, and was kind of self-conscious about it for some time. And I was also heavily interested in printmaking and took printmaking up until the end, um, monotypes primarily. And then I was also doing photography and that was something that I liked about this school is they didn't make me pick. And I, um, kind of refused to, and I did everything that was 2D up until the end. So I'm just kind of, you know, again, looking over images and I'm going, printmaking makes total sense, you know, in terms of like monoprints. I mean, are those kind of like one-off that you're able to also kind of like work over or? Right. A monotype, the beauty in that for me is that just like a painting, there's just one and you can work into them, you know, in a really painterly way. And then I would go back into them and draw on top of them and really liked that I I didn't know where those were going, much like I don't know where the paintings are going when I'm working on them. 
but that was a really great process that I miss quite a bit now that I don't do that anymore. But, um, also I think the work that I make now might relate in terms of building things up in layers. And I absolutely do go back into work and work back into it. But for the most part, I'm working on these in a really, and step by step maybe isn't the right way to put it, but you know, one layer at a time sort of thing. So that probably relates to, you know, you kind of talked about looking away from representational kind of art making was abstraction and exploring like that kind of non-objective kind of style or design. Was that something that kind of creeped up as a subject in your work then? Um, yes, I think so. Although I think, um, if someone had asked me that maybe my sophomore junior year, I would have said, I don't know. But now looking back, yes. And I think that, I don't know, it might have been helpful if someone had said to me, your abstraction is the word you're looking for, right? You know, maybe as a freshman or as a Mm -hmm. sophomore. But um, there were absolutely clues that that was what I was drawn to and and that the things that I was always looking at um, or checking out from the library or printing out and pinning up on these studio walls were really elementary in terms of formal principles and elements of design. I was really drawn to all things line, um, contour drawings, illustration, design blogs, um, anything linear that was delicate, I was really obsessed with. So um, I would have all of these things just on my wall, and then I would draw them over and over into my studio. Um, And there was some realist drawings that would relate to that aesthetic. I was really interested in Diebenkorn drawings at the time and had all of his books checked out from our library. Um, but, but yes, I think for the most part, abstraction was, um, was holding my attention more than any representational work or anything like that. Were there, were there any other artists at the time that you were, you know, looking at and just kind of being, you know, influenced by in terms of things that you're looking at or? Man, at that point, I don't know. I feel like I really should have an answer to that question, but, um, I had maybe, I mean, I don't know if it was a bad habit, but I was looking at at blogs all the time, but not in a way that was productive for, um, for being able to answer, you know, five years later or eight years later, who you were looking at. I was just looking and looking and looking and really interested in realizing that there were other people that had the need to make as much stuff as I feel like I need to make. I don't know why I I, I was going to ask about Jonathan Lasker for some reason. I thought it seemed like a, so, someone that might be interesting to you, but I don't know. Yeah, that's such a compliment. And in fact, um, I had not heard of Lasker until I met my boyfriend. He is really interested in his work, and I am too now. But um, of course, you know, I mentioned exposure earlier, and I'm really grateful to have, um, I feel like, had a lot of that as a kid and as a teen in terms of culture and variety and language and philosophy or whatever. But I certainly didn't have a great understanding of contemporary art at this institution and that it is what it is, but that really came for me maybe a little bit later. You're finishing up at a kind of smaller liberal arts school and you're thinking, I'm going to go out there. I want to go to like a big place and, you know, really kind of dive into this so that I know, you know, all about contemporary art and things like that. 
Right. And in fact, as soon as we wrapped up that question, of course, I remember that I was really obsessed with Uta Barth photographs. And more than anything else, that probably should have been an indicator that I was more interested in abstraction because um, the the photographs are primarily completely unfocused and without a subject. But Mm -hmm. anyhow, yeah, I graduated and then I knew that I wanted to go to grad school, but I knew that I wanted some time in between. And I think that... um, I thought that would be really imperative to see if I could make work on my own or how things might change before I kind of dove into this new, you know, arts ecosystem. But um, I got a job at a gallery um, here in Kansas City called Byron Cohen and had a great experience there um, and learned a lot about contemporary art, uh, both local and international. And then all of the really important things that I think you have to know about packing, unpacking, shipping, hanging, lighting, that I am really grateful that I I have those skills now. Um, but then I applied to a few schools, and I decided that the University of Cincinnati would be the best fit. Um, and I went in 2012. And the way that that program is split up is um, you're either kind of 2D or 3D, more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I enjoyed that it was interdisciplinary from the get go. And I liked that I didn't really have to, um, walk in and say, I'm a painter, um, or I'm a whatever. Well, I wasn't painting in the beginning. That's for sure. You weren't? I I wasn't. No. When I got into grad school, I was lost maybe in all sense of the word. I mean, that sounds really dramatic, but I was also going through, um, a really dramatic part of my life at that time personally, and, Mm um, was kind of struggling through some things. So the work wasn't working. And I remember thinking that people were responding to what I was making, but I wasn't responding to what I was making. And that, I knew that I needed time to figure it out and that it would come together. Um, but I was making everything. I mean, I was making huge, I called them drawings, but I was taking cheap brown paper and painting it and then suspending it from the ceiling and then photographing it and then drawing back into the photographs. And I mean, definitely I was investigating and searching for something, but, um, it really wasn't coming together. And, there was this moment of clarity and the shift between my first and my second year in the program where um, a lot of things changed for me and the work came together. And I think when I, um, when I made some decisions in my life that uh, made me a happier person, the work became better work and I became more confident in the work. And I kind of found this place where I realized I want to make abstract paintings and they're going to be good. I'm going to make them good. I'm going to figure out how to be a better painter. And that was it. I mean, I think the second that I decided that the stuff that had always been in the sketchbook, so these sorts of linear, abstract thumbnails that I would just make over and over and over, and that was justified. And I was going to turn that into the work and really commit myself wholeheartedly into, into this practice. And I did, and I have, and, um, I couldn't be happier with what I'm making. I'm so obsessed with making these eight by tens now, but 
But in school, I was making a variety of sizes of, of paintings on panel and on paper. And I ended up ultimately um, displaying them in kind of this salon style, um, but without hierarchy way in my thesis exhibition. So there was something like 20, 20, 22 works on this wall that we built um, and one sculpture on the floor. And they were really conversational. They were linear. They related to each other. Um, There was a lot of variety in color and size, um, and they all hung together. Uh, Yeah, so things wrapped up well, but it wasn't an easy start for me in grad school. These sketchbooks, were you just kind of filling them up with drawings in terms of like, you know, different kind of like drawing tools, markers and things like that? And I guess also like, is this something that you would just be doing all the time? Like if you're like riding a bus somewhere or is it something like where you go into the studio and kind of like working on your sketchbooks to, I don't know, to eventually turn into like a a painting or something like that? Both. I mean, they were... um just, I guess, a safe place to put down ideas and to put down maybe the weirder things that um, you're not showing anyone. And then I remember showing them to professors and they would look at me and they would just say, Jess, you know, this is the work and these are the most interesting things. And look how weird that is. I've never seen anything (laughs) like that. You have to make that into a painting. And um, to have the thing that never gets seen, to have people validate that, I think, was really pivotal Um, And I realized that, God, if that's the thing that I'm committing to are these abstract drawings all the time on the bus before meetings in the coffee shop and in the studio, then that's the thing that needs to become the work. That's the thing that can hold my attention and my interest forever. But I'm looking at them right now, actually, in in our bookshelves, and I have, there's, I don't know, 20 here and there's more in the studio and they're all numbered so that I know, um, you know, which came first and I can look back at them because they've become so important. But yes, they don't always, uh, the thumbnails don't always result in paintings, but um, sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But um, I guess I consider them work too. I don't know that I would ever show them. Yeah, I I think that, you know, automatically is going to be something people are going to be, you know, suggesting at some point. You've got 50 of these. Let's let's just show them, Um, (laughs) which would be kind of interesting. Um, And I'm I'm curious, too, because, I mean, again, it sounds like it might be something that is just like an idea generator, but then also some of them kind of feel complete. I mean, if if you were to use a a sketch to kind of like start, I mean, is that something that is also going to completely change and become something different from, you know, that where it starts out in a sketch versus what it gets resolved as like a, a finished work? Both. I think that I, um, I'm always trying to figure out the, the role that drawing has in my, in my work and the paintings. And, um, I think that I use the thumbnails, um, often, but most often when I'm kind of shifting the paintings, maybe if I feel like I'm using the same moves too often or things are getting a little too easy, then I'll go back into the sketchbook and try and draw, um, draw some things out and figure out new compositions. How can I edit what came before to make a more interesting painting? So recently, for example, I decided that the work needed to to shift in one way or another. And I did that. I went back and I made some thumbnails and then I made these thumbnails into a painting. And for the most part, they look like my drawings, but I'm certainly not someone who will make a painting um, step-by-step that has to look like the original idea. I am absolutely open to 
um, this push and pull. And I think that's really what it is for me is a matter of making one move and then making the next one to either, um, fight with it or agree with it or push it or save it. I don't know. And I, sometimes it comes easily and sometimes it doesn't, but that's, that's the fun of it, I suppose. But like, I I think one of the things that's so interesting about it is the space that's in your work. You know, it seems like there's some that, that wind up being really flat and some that, you know, have these just kind of almost like little, tr- not tricks, but like you're, you're, you're looking at it and you're trying to figure out why is there all of this space in here where it is maybe seems like it would be flatter. And that's something that's really interesting. It seems like there's a lot of overlapping and, you know, transparencies, mm-hmm. things on the surface. I don't know. So is that something that you've really kind of developed as, as you kind of worked through these in terms of, you know, what you can pull off? Is there... Yeah. Are there radical things that you have to do at some point when something's not working out to just, you know, to completely rework it or? Uh, yes. And yes, regarding the space thing, uh, I'm glad that you said that that's really an imperative thing for me and my work. And, and in fact, all of the, the content that I was talking about in school and writing about in my thesis paper was the relationship between space and place and the difference in terms of interior spaces. And that's what really holds my interest in terms of ideas. So for me, on some level, these are inside spaces that I'm painting. So the the space and that conversation and the sort of non-descriptive, confusing space is very important to me. And I'm hyper aware of that when I'm working. And I really love, especially when I can look at a painting after and have to kind of remember um, what did I lay down first or what is really on top of what, or what's happening in terms of foreground, middle ground, background. And I like when stuff like that gets really confusing. So I appreciate you saying that, I guess. Um, looking at one from 2014, um, untitled, um, connectors uh-huh. and there's the square, right? Yeah. Yeah. And there's variations in terms of just something like, like the, the color blue or the size of these blue dots and they, you know, again, when you've got like these, these ones that have more contrast with the light blue and the dark blue surrounding it, you know, again, they kind of pop forward, but then some of them are smaller. So they look like they're receding and then they're kind of, again, connected with these kind of like linear elements. And so that color also seems to kind of be something like the color and scale and repetition of some of those marks also seem to be something that help, I don't know, push some of that space too, you know, cause you know, that all stands in contrast to like, maybe like a really, you know, thin kind of like washed or kind of veiled, you know, layers. So again, it's really interesting to see all the ways that, you know, that interaction seems to happen in the work. Yeah. I'm absolutely interested in, in flatness, I guess. And that's the irony of it is I've always been drawn to, to negative space and flatness and, uh, outlines, I guess, but I'm also trying to have a conversation about space, right? So, Mm uh, it's a matter of how can I use the, the language that I know and the tools that I have and to make these deep, flat, paintings um and color you're right plays a primary role and also um using painting as drawing which i kind of mentioned earlier and i mean i know there's like very little distinction there and it doesn't really matter ultimately but i'm um i sometimes pour um the paint into these like squeezy tubes that um you would maybe ice a cake with or something mm-hmm. so that i'm using it in maybe a more drawing based way and then i use spackle that started in school and I've been, um, obsessed with it since. So I've used spackle in almost everything that I make really to kind of address 
this, the immediacy of drawing, I suppose, and that you can't really correct a line that you make in Spackle. It, it is what it is. Um, and I love that. I mean, there's definitely moments when I need to find myself letting go more. So I'll pick up something like that where I don't, I can't necessarily have control over, over the mark as much. And also it seems like there's some of them too, where like you're almost like carving into the surface um, as well. So there's kind of all these different ways of making marks, it seems like. Yes. So the subtractive um, marks are made with old printmaking tools which I can probably thank the University of St. Mary for those. I still have them around. But, um, yeah, so I use those really pointy metal tools to kind of dig back into the surface. And I'm glad that, you know, you're picking up on all this stuff because sometimes I do worry that all of this nuance and these these little details that I'm so interested in get lost in the images online mm-hmm. because the response that I get in person is usually – wow, there's so much more tactile than I thought, or there's so much more texture than I imagined. So, you know, I'm always trying to find the balance between pushing that in in reality when I'm making the work so that it can expose itself more in the images, but also, you know, you don't want to cross, cross a threshold of something you're not interested in just so that the image can be more evident. Does that make sense? No, I, th- I think that makes total sense. Tell us a little bit about, you know, just in terms of like if you're if you're working on paintings, are you working on like, you know, 10 at a time and, you know, working layers and then kind of moving in between them all or? Uh, more when I was in school, in grad school, I um, had the space to kind of have three or four, maybe five things going at a time. Now it's usually two, I think, um, that I'm working on back and forth. Um, but sometimes I'll get so sucked into one that I'm really just getting into one painting until it's finished, which, um, is new for me. I usually work on multiples all the time, but so the, the work that I guess is maybe a year old, you'll see, um, you'll see evidence of that, which is something that I'm really interested in. And when a viewer can really pick up of the paintings that I was making, maybe in the same week, using the same color palette, um, using the same patterns over and over. Um, and that's just me, being so heavily interested in, in the same mark that I'm investigating it until I feel like I've seen it through. But now not so much, you know, one or two things. And then I'm, um, I don't know, I'm in a weird place now in that I just closed a show and I'm getting ready to open another one. But I am kind of making myself pause and examine because I don't want to just hang the same show. Mm-hmm. And I, I need the time, but I don't have the time. So... But I also think when you're stressed and you're worried about the work, uh, weird, exciting things happen right after that point. So I don't know. I'm kind of waiting for that shift. But. <laughs> well, and you, you mentioned, you know, kind of really early kind of, you know, being, you know, really interested in, in, in 2D and, and, you know, also like aspects of design. And I'm, I'm curious, too, like, is that something that really kind of plays a role in terms of color theory? You know, you'll see a color shift. um, you know, just based off of a transparency or you'll see mm-hmm. a color that moves throughout the painting, but it starts looking, you know, slightly different because it's in an area that maybe has some really intense color around it or some really almost dry color around it. I mean, is that something that also is something that you consider in terms of kind of playing around with these in terms of how you can, I don't know, maybe take colors that are the same and push them around or make variations? Oh, yeah. And Yeah, I don't... Um... I don't take for granted what color relativity can do for my work. Absolutely. I think that those sorts of things that seem really basic that 
uh, we could easily forget about are such valuable tools. And Principles and Elements of Design is still one of those classes that I love to teach. And I get so excited about it because, um, of course, these are really simple tools that we're teaching people or that we're using ourselves, but they are the foundation of everything else, right? They are they are really how abstraction is made and how you're going to get people to care and pay attention. So absolutely. I mean, I'm really aware of that. I'm using all of those things um, consciously, but I, I do often think about, you know, if I have this one color, how many different ways can I present it in the same painting or otherwise? So, you know, if this medium would shift it this way and if I added this medium, it would make it, you know, more opaque. Or if I laid down this colored pencil underneath it, would it be any different or would it not be any different? And if it was next to this darker value, how would that shift the space? And all of that is just really exploration. I think that that's something that um, is definitely important to me, this this essence of play. I mean, I don't, I take the work obviously very seriously, but at some point you just have to play. And I think that that's great to say and to do. And the most recent works in the last year, at least some of them have kind of these grids included in them. Is that something that might be like a, I don't know, a device to kind of set up a new series of paintings then it's like, I'm going to, you know, put a basic grid on these. Sometimes they're going to be hidden. Sometimes they're not. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, things like that. Uh, well, I think that really started when I, um, picked back up a ruler for the first time in years. And that was maybe six or seven months ago. And I realized that I liked the way that the ruler um, could give me, obviously, this really straight line that would have this uh, juxtaposition with all of the really um, intuitive kind of handwriting-esque, you know, marks that I make really naturally. Um, And I liked that that play that they had off one another, you know, really the grid or, um, the arches or the plus signs or the diamonds or whatever. I mean, that is really just me making a drawing. That's just how I view it. I mean, it's really not like loaded with any stuff, you know, I guess for lack of a better word without getting into anything different, but, um, and that is just me making a mark. And then if I think it's interesting enough to carry on, then it will. And I don't necessarily work in a series, but I actually used that word last week when I was speaking about these brand new paintings that I'm making that seem to deal with triangles in a way that I haven't yet addressed them. So maybe, and I've made two and they look really similar. So maybe there's something there, but, um, but probably not. I don't think I'm a, I'm a series person. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that's something that's interesting, you know, brought up earlier in terms of exhibiting these, you know, kind of set up, I'm looking at an installation of shot of lush at the contemporary art center in Cincinnati. I look at that and I just kind of see like, there's like these violety tones and then, and you know, like this kind of like warm and cool, but then you have all these different variations when you're seeing them within the other, the context of the other works. And I don't know, I I think that's something that's really kind of, I don't know, just kind of interesting um, to see these in, in a group, you know? Right. I had, that was such a joy to make work in that way, which really um, begs for a larger space than I have now, I think. But that was so much fun to just make, to have this more restricted palette. But then um, when you're using a more limited palette, you maybe have more freedom in terms of substrate and scale, and you can mix and match in a way that might seem really wonky. But then when the color is all similar, you they work together. So I loved playing around with higher pieces, lower pieces, um, 
you know, getting things to look good together, but not too good. I mean, that's a problem that you could easily have, I think, in that case. But um, more recently, I exhibited 18 8 by 10 paintings all in a row at Gallery Urbane, and that's in Dallas. And um, I unfortunately didn't get to see that in person, but having um, seeing the images of them all uh, right next to each other, more or less, across this this big gallery. There was a rhythm there that I also really am interested in. So I, I guess I, I like playing off both. I like both types of installations, and, and I don't really know what, what's in store um, for the future work, but I don't really think about that when I'm making it. You know, I think that's definitely something that comes after. You, know, you talked about kind of working at this, you know, eight by 10 scale. What, what is it about that scale that you're, you're so um, invested in at this point, just in terms of, uh, I mean, is it just something where you feel like you can get a lot of stuff done and kind of like move on to a new painting or like the intimacy? What, what is it about that scale that is so appealing? I think that um, the intimacy that you just said, yeah, absolutely. I think that having, the work right in front of you is, um, and you can maybe hold it in your hand or you're really breathing on it. That's the way that I've always really liked to work. I've never been so comfortable with hanging a painting on a wall and extending my arm and making these marks, you know, at a distance that's never felt, um, right to me. And maybe that comes from all this history of the things that I made when I was younger, working on a desk or working really closely, but, I think I make the most interesting work when it's at a, at a smaller scale. And I like that I have to be so close to it when I'm working. And I like that I'm requiring or really asking a viewer to approach it really closely when it's, when it's hung. And I think that, you know, if the work finds itself um, in a place where it's like asking to go bigger, I guess I'm ready for that. And I, I'm not opposed to making larger work, but I'm really quite invested in this eight by 10 size. I think that I'm often thinking of making, you know, these larger paintings in the smaller size. So some of them feel quite larger than they are. And, you know, that'll change, but I don't feel like I'm ready to shift. I've been working with eight by tens probably since, I don't know, August, last August, pretty consistently. And then I've made some paperwork that's larger and some paperwork that's smaller, but that seems to me like the perfect proportions. And I just don't know how to explain it any other way. I really think it might be that simple that for me and the way that I like to draw and paint and make these marks, something about the relationship with the height, it seems right. And I think those, if you can't pay attention to the things that seem right, you know, that's a problem. So I I think I'm going to stick with it until I feel like it, it needs to move on. No, I, again, I think it kind of was, you know, similar to what we were talking about, you know, before we even started this was just, um, you know, how particular artists are about, yeah. you know, little, little, little details and things like that. Whereas like, I, again, I remember talking to someone recently who had said, you know, we had all talked and decided that 16 by 20 is just the perfect size. Um, so it's <laughs> See, just, that's too long for me. Right. I, I mean, I could, that's what I mean. I think it's just so funny. It's one thing that's nice about being outside of school and having people kind of maybe second guess um, everything that you're doing is just, you know, if it's working and you're able to kind of be really productive doing it, you know, just keep doing it, you know? Right. And if you're happy with what's going on, if they're exciting, what, you know, because I think that's kind of a cliche thing, you know, like everybody wants to see really, you know, 
you know, megalithic kind of like pieces. Um, oh yeah. But, I don't care about that. Yeah. I mean, that's not, there's something about small works that are so interesting to me. So, yeah. And I'll be transparent. I mean, I'm working in a, in a small bedroom sure, in, my, sure. in my apartment. <laughs> so, you know, if I had a, a large, beautiful space that, you know, maybe that would be different, but it is what it is and I'm, I'm making it work. So I guess tell us a little bit before we let you go, you know, what you're working on and, um, you know, what this show that you're working towards is coming up. The next show that I'll open is um, at the Kansas City Artist Coalition here in Kansas City, Missouri. And, you know, I really should be able to say what that show is going to look like, but um, <laughs> I don't I don't know completely. I just um, wrapped up a show not long ago in Dallas and. Um, maybe thought I had a decent amount of time in between, but I'm realizing I don't. So, um, paintings primarily and, uh, paintings on panel eight by tens. Um, but that's a large space. So I'm, I need to get to work. And then I am going to move soon. I'm moving to Texas. So I'm really, uh, curious what that transition will do to my place-based work. I think that as someone that moves a lot, um, that really always, creates, um, a new, a new body of work, I guess, or at least some challenges. Cause I, um, I'm so interested in, in where I'm living and how that affects where I'm making work. So, um, yeah, lots of transition on the horizon opens in July. Um, I think July 10th. And what are you going to be doing in Texas then? Are you, are you teaching out there? Are you getting a new job or are you just moving for the sake of moving? Uh, both I'm teaching at Sam Houston state university in their foundations program. Very cool. Very cool. Very excited about that. Have you spent any significant amount of time in Texas at all or no, Okay, not at all. That'll be interesting. I know I'm really, um, I'm ready for the heat. I think, um, I'm ready to see, um, different plant life around. I mean, that's something that I'm really excited to have around. I, um, I really miss the cacti and those sorts of desert flowers. And I love getting back to that when I visit my dad in Arizona. So it'll be nice to have that around. I think those big kind of changes like that really tend to shake up the work a bit, you know, so mm-hmm. it'll be really yeah. cool to see what comes out of that and, you know, to see how the paintings progress from here. So couldn't agree more. Um, all right. Well, again, thanks so much for taking the time. It was really, really fun to talk to you about your work and, and thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks once again to Jessica for joining us and please check out her website, jessicasamorte.com. Her exhibition opens at the Kansas City Artist Coalition in July, so please check it out if you can. Once again, we want to remind listeners that our 2015 competition is coming to a close June 15th, so get your entries in. Once again, our juror this year is Julia Friedman of Exchange Works, which is an interesting organization that brings artist opportunities and exchanges them for a variety of different resources, so check it out. Once again, we'll be featuring artists from three different categories. That's BA, BFA students, MA, MFA students, and professional artists once again 
Three artists from each of those categories will be featured on Studio Break for a total of nine, and we'll be giving away and selecting one artist from each of those categories to have a solo exhibition. One will take place at the Peoria Art Guild, one will take place at Demo Project, and lastly, one will take place at Jan Brandt Gallery in Bloomington, Illinois. We're very excited to be offering up these exhibitions in conjunction with this competition, so please get your applications in. Once again, if you know any students or other artists that might be interested in applying and be featured on Studio Break, please tell them to apply. It's very simple, and sharing something on social media is super easy, so please help us out if you can. We also want to remind some new listeners that if you haven't checked out the archive, there's a lot of interviews waiting for you, so please check it out. You can go to the left sidebar and scroll month by month to check out all the podcasts that you missed. You can also go to the iTunes store, subscribe to the podcast for free, and never miss an update that way, so please check it out there. If you want, you can leave us some comments and some feedback there. Or feel free to leave it on our Facebook page. Once again, you can like and follow our Facebook page, leave comments, share articles, opportunities. You can also follow our Tumblr account at studio-break.tumblr. And lastly, tweet us at Studio Break. Again, it's always great getting cool tweets on Twitter, so please send us interesting images, competitions, all sorts of stuff, and share it there. I want to thank our musical contributor and artist, Skylar Mail, for providing the soundtrack to Studio Break. You can check out his website at SkylarMail.com. You can also see some of my paintings and my art at DavidLinaway.com if you want to find out a little bit more uh, where I'm coming from. So please check it out, DavidLinaway.com. And I also have an exhibition up right now on Five Pieces Gallery, so check that out. All right, thanks again for listening. We really appreciate it. Get those applications in, and we'll talk to you real soon. <laughs>